This episode of I'm Horrified is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com horrified to get your free audiobook and start listening. It's that easy. Right now, I'm listening to Going Clear by Lawrence Wright, which pairs perfectly with our Scientology segment in episode six. And I'm listening to The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean, a sizzling romance novel for those who enjoyed episode 49. So head to audibletrial.com slash horrified to start your free trial now. Happy listening! That's wild! Hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of I'm Horrified. I'm Horrified. With Allie and Sam. And I'm Allie. And I'm Sam. So that's this week's episode of I'm Horrified. Uh, tune in next week where maybe I'll talk to about our last names. Yeah, that's all we got to talk about is we're, it's Allie and Sam and we're horrified. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole podcast. Five stars uh, on iTunes across the board. I mean, I'm big enough to admit that I'm scared of myself. <laughs> You know. I'm horrified, the inner self. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty significant one. <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to kid myself. But, um, Sam, you have a big one today, so what are you going to talk about? Today, Ali, I'm going to talk about the Wars of the Roses. Ooh. It's a, it's a broad topic. It's a pretty broad topic. It's a broad top, if I might say. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I'm really excited gonna, about this. But what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about New Coke. I'm thrilled about this. Because I only, yeah. the only thing I know about New Coke is that it exists. You're actually wrong. It doesn't <laughs> exist anymore, so. Fair. Fair so, enough. So the only thing that you know about it is incorrect. Yeah. Um, I'd also just like to do, like, a quick disclaimer for our guests, we're coming to you today live from Allie's bed. Yeah. Um, we didn't set chairs up today. Yeah. My room is disgusting. <laughs> my life is a mess. I haven't washed my hair in like three days. It and, looks great. Um, I said, hey, Sam, what if instead of setting up our equipment like a normal person today, we just sit on my duvet and we record this thing? So if we sound, um, you know, more relaxed, yeah. cozier... If you just hear the sounds of, like, that sounds like someone moving around on a bed. You're Maybe right. Maybe Allie's falling asleep. Yeah. If you hear me go, ow, yeah. ow. That's just us on our my West Elm sheets. <laughs> They're nice. They are nice. I paid a lot of money for these. <laughs> That's but I just, truth. that's my disclaimer. But also, like, maybe you should listen to this episode from your bed. Maybe you should go home right now. Yeah, if you're commuting into work, um, turn around. Don't. Go home, call in sick. Everybody does that. Yeah. Um, you know, get in your jammies. Go Today's back to the sleep. day. If you were woke up this morning and you were like, give me one good reason to get out of bed today. I'm giving it to you. Here's your good reason to not get out of bed. Yeah. Stay in bed and listen to this podcast. It's yep. only 45 minutes. You'll only be 45 minutes late to work. Yeah. That's not even an hour. My tire popped. <laughs> Here you go. Boom. Boom. My mom's dead. And I only, needed, I only needed 45 minutes yeah, to just really whatever. conquer those feelings. Okay. <laughs> so, um, while we're comfy, Sam, let's get started. I'm really excited whenever you talk about anything Tudors. I know. I love history, y'all. So, um, Allie, the hit HBO show Game of Thrones is back for its final triumphant season. Yeah. Um, I've watched the show throughout its entire run. I know you gave up halfway through because there is objectively too much rape. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> nope, check please. And you're correct. Uh, but what if I told you that our real life history is just as dramatic as Game of Thrones? 
I wish I could be like, what? But you've been talking in my face about this for the last seven years. So I'm not surprised anymore. Absolutely. Indeed, George R.R. Martin, that weird old man, based many of the central conflicts of A Song of Ice and Fire on real life events. I love it. So today we're going to talk about one of those real life events in the spirit of Game of Thrones being back. We're talking about the Wars of the Roses. Which is actually like 10 events. Yeah, it's a lot. It's like eight kings I'm about to break down for you guys. Let's get into it. So, you guys know that I love drama in a monarchy, I love history, I love Shakespeare, and he wrote a fuck ton about these wars. He fucking loved it. He loved it. So, um, it's a really long, complicated conflict, and I'm gonna talk to you about it in about 25 minutes. So, here we go. Let me stretch my neck. Yeah, if there's anything we do, it's distill complicated information. That's my favorite thing to do. So, if this whole time you've been listening to this podcast and being like, what are you talking about? The Wars of the Roses were a series of English civil wars in like the 13 and 1400s for control of the throne of England between these two rival branches of the royal house, which was at the time the Plantagenet house. So it's the House of Lancaster, and they're associated with the Red Rose, and the House of York, and they're associated with the White Rose, War of the Roses. Got it. (laughs) That's all you need to know. So we're going to start this baby off with the original fuck-up himself, Richard II. Yeah. So Richard II is born in 1367, and he's the son of Edward the Black Prince, which is just like a great, cool title. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. He seems like he was cool as fuck, but unfortunately he dies like pretty early before his dad dies, so he never gets to be king. He's just always known as the Black Prince. Bummer. But, but, which is arguably a cooler thing to be. Yeah, a lit title to die with. So Richard is next in line to the throne, and he's crowned king in 1377 when he is only 10 years old. So he's a baby king. He's got a lot of uncles vying to kind of be the ones in charge of him, since because he's a minor, he needs, like, kind of a royal council to lead. Uh, most notable of these uncles is John of Gaunt, who is the Duke of Lancaster, the Red Rose. Um, and everyone's like, John of Gaunt is gonna take the throne. What the yeah. f- Something's fucked up's gonna happen. And then there's Edmund, the Duke of York, the White Rose, and he hangs back in this conflict, uh, but his descendants have no chill. So Richard is not what I would call uh, a good king. The peasants keep revolting. He marries a woman named Anne of Bohemia just because they're in love. You can't do that. You cannot do as a monarch. And then she dies before she even gives him an heir. So everyone's like, that was pointless, Richard. Ugh, what a cunt. Come on. Uh, The French are just always wanting to invade. And like, they always say that. And they never (laughs) do it, goddamn. I know. It's like, take some action, France. Spain at least goes for it. (laughs) I I appreciate a bold move. And Spain's got him. They send a boat over every now and again. And, of course, his freaking uncles are just making it clear that, like, they do not trust him. They do not think he's doing a good job. We've all had those family members in our lives who are like, well, you know, maybe you'd be doing a little bit better if you had gotten that business degree. And you're like, listen. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't, you know, be selling Amway right now. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. We all have those family members. Richard had them, too. So, at one point, a group of lords, which includes another of Richard's uncles, Thomas of Gloucester, and his cousin, John of Gaunt's son, Henry, basically take over. They're the lord's appellant. Uh, And they do this because Richard keeps appointing his friends into really important positions, and then his friends use that power to just, like, get rich. 
And so the people and the, the, the privy council and like everyone are like, Hey, Richard, like you have to fire them because they're not doing their jobs. And he says to them that he wouldn't even fire a servant from the kitchen on Parliament's orders, let alone a friend of his. That's bold. Uh, he's He only makes bold moves. Yeah. Young Richard II. I mean, if I was president of anything, I'd just make you whatever you wanted to be. Thanks. Secretary of Defense? Yeah. One of the other ones? I'd be a pretty good Secretary of Defense because my motto would be like, what if we didn't? Yeah. No, that's a pretty good stance. <laughs> For a Secretary of Defense, I think so. So, um, this group seizes power, they execute and they banish all of Richard's friends because they've been committing crimes the whole time. And Richard's like, whatever. <laughs> uh, He's like, yeah, I basically <laughs> said I would. Yeah. What's, what's your point? <laughs> so, sh- slowly but surely, Richard manages to take back power. And then he began- begins the period in his reign, which histories refer to as his tyranny. Um, <laughs> Strong word. <laughs> so he has a lot of these lords appellant put in jail. Um, and his own uncle, Thomas of Gloucester, mysteriously dies in prison before he can be tried. Uh, Richard mm. had him killed. Uh, and then he says that he makes a proclamation that no restraint can legally be put on the king. And all parliamentary power um, is delegated to a committee of 12 lords and six commoners chosen from the king's friends. Yikes. So he's like, no more parliament and you can't limit me. (laughs) Am am I hearing maybe Saturdays are for my boys? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) For the boys. Absolutely. So he's basically like, I'm never going to call parliament again. I'm just going to have my boys. And me. Yeah. (laughs) And that's how this country runs now. He also disinherits and banishes his cousin, Henry of Lancaster, um, because the Lancaster family line is kind of like the next after his to inherit the throne, and he still doesn't have any kids. Spoiler alert, this isn't going to end up being a good move. You could say that about, like, any of this. I'm going to say it, like, four more times in this episode. (laughs) So, obviously, Henry of Lancaster comes back with an army. Everyone's like, thank God you're here. (laughs) And he deposes his cousin, Richard. Pretty much everyone is on his side because Richard sucks so bad. He's really obsessed with the divine right of kings, which is always concerning, I think, in a king. And so Richard technically abdicates and is allowed to live, but he's never seen again. And he probably dies of starvation in a cell someplace. Not a great way to go. Mm. Yeah, I'd rather get the, you know, clean. Yeah, just let's end it. Let's chop my head off. Absolutely. That brings us to Henry IV. So oh God, are we going to get all the way to Henry VIII? Uh, yeah. Oh, we're so far away. <laughs> I know. No, we only get to Henry VII. Really? Yeah. Henry VIII, the war's already over. Oh, it's over? Yeah. And he wins? Henry VII wins. Oh, I'm sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> well, I guess it's like a thousand years old. Jesus, Alley, spoilers for English history. Sorry. Um, so... So here's Henry IV. He comes from John of Gaunt's Lancastrian line. Oh, Lancastrian. Oh, yeah. Uh, By all accounts, he's a pretty good king. He's got some minor rebellions. Who doesn't? He's boring. We're going to move on to his son. Yeah, I mean, why aren't all kings like that? All you have to do is, like, kiss a baby every now and again (laughs) and not kill everyone. Amen. And they can't do it. (laughs) And they can't fucking do it. Too hard. (laughs) Let's get to Henry V. Henry V is hot and he's 
just full of unfulfilled potential. For the Game of Thrones fans out there, think of him like a Rhaegar Targaryen. Ooh. Like the sexy, young, up-and-coming king. Love it. He's totally going to change the world. Maybe he's the prince that was promised. He wins the Battle of Agincourt. I'm back to Henry now. I'm off of Rhaegar. That's how, yeah, no, that's, that still sounds like Rhaegar. <laughs> um, he becomes the heir to France. He marries the French princess, Catherine. Then he dies at 35 from dysentery. Oh, history. <laughs> it's a real bummer of an ending for a, a really by all accounts sexy sexy dude yeah so sexy marrying a french prince like you can't get any sexier and then he dies from shitting yeah pretty much and if you've ever read henry V in shakespeare's canon there's the scene where like henry and catherine meet and she only speaks french and he only speaks english but like they're eye fucking yeah and that's some good shit that I love scene that. i, I love, love that, that scene uh, and there's a movie version of it, and it's Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson when they were married. Oh, they had such chemistry. Why did they let that die? I completely Helena, came him. Helena Bonham. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, God. Really? Yeah, he cheated on her with Helena Bonham Carter. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what happened. I'm horrified. <laughs> Forget this. Uh, Forget this. Monarchy shit. All right. I would never do that to Emma Thompson. Uh, now we're at Henry VI. Let's get to the good stuff. Ooh. Henry VI is crowned when he is nine months old. He is the youngest king to ever be crowned. Baby king. In England. And throughout his youth, there's obviously a regency council because he is a baby. So they're taking care of everything. Um, Per his dad's agreement with the French, Henry is crowned as king of France. And England is like the most powerful it will ever be in France. Even though their king is a baby. Even though their king is a baby uh, during this time. Also, here's, like, a fun side note. Henry's French mom, Catherine, uh, ends up marrying and procreating with a Welshman named Owen Tudor, who is the grandfather of Henry VII, the founder of the Tudor dynasty. Fun. Oh, so that's how they get the name Tudor. That's how they get the name Tudor. That's interesting. She's Welsh. Um, which is also when he was, like, kind of coming up as, like, I'm going to take the throne. Everyone was like, okay, Welshy. Like, <laughs> and he's like, no, through my mom I have a claim. And they were like, all right. Tutor. But he said in a Welsh accent, like, yeah, three my mom would have it. Like, I don't even know how Welsh talk. But it's a crazy accent. I'm sorry if we, um, you know, alienated any of our Welsh listeners. Uh, if you're Welsh, I'm begging you to send us just, like, a video of you speaking, because yeah. I love it. Um, okay, so everything is going great in England until Henry VI comes of age and starts ruling for himself. So he's declared of age in 1437. Um, he's 16. It's the same year as his mother dies, which is a hard year. And he assumes the reins of the government. Now, he is shy. He's very pious, like too pious. Like even in the 1400s, everyone's like, chill out. Mm. Um, he is averse to deceit and bloodshed. So he I mean, doesn't like to lie or war. You're not the king of a country. Fair enough. Um, and he immediately allows his court to be dominated by like his few noble favorites. Um, he's just like, what if you guys just take care of it? This is absolutely how I would act. Yes. Me too. Me too. I should be deposed. Yeah. If, if you crown me queen, I should be deposed and maybe executed. <laughs> Gotta be honest. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know if I should be alive anymore in case they give me the crown again. That's just no. too bad of a scene. Yeah, absolutely. So... Henry had been kind of quote-unquote king in France, but at this point, he's now taken over, and you know who's rolling up in France? My girl Joan of Arc. 
Oh, she comes in? She's rolling up right about now. So it is all downhill from here for the British. And they don't exactly have a king who's like really wanting to go to war. So he decides like, let's just have peace in France. And he sides with these two men, Cardinal Beaufort and William de la Pole, who's the Earl of Suffolk. Uh, and he's like, the three of them are like, what if we're peaceful with France? And then there's these two other guys, the Duke of Gloucester and Richard Duke of York. Here come the Yorks again, y'all. Is that Richard III? No. Okay. It's Richard III's dad. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, and they're like, we should really keep fighting with France because we've been fighting with France for a hundred years. So why would we stop? Um, but ultimately Henry sides with um, Beaufort and the Earl of Suffolk. And they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to marry you to a French princess. Her name is Margaret of Anjou. She's the niece of King Charles. And Henry's like, absolutely. I've heard Margaret's hot. She is. She's 15. (laughs) (laughs) Hot. Hot 15-year-old. Peace. (laughs) Coming to the English court. And so... The the French, um, in theory, like, back in the day when you were marrying off a daughter, you were paying, like, a dowry with her. Like, please take this daughter off my hands. Here's a thousand bucks. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Charles of France, that's not how he rolls. So he's like, I'm not going to pay a dowry. And on top of that, you have to give me Maine. (laughs) So they do. So Henry's like, that's fine. I do not want to fight anymore. And I'd like to marry this hot 15-year-old piece. So they give them Maine. Maine is the French's now. Yeah, I would... I would do that. Yeah. And so uh, they don't, initially they do not tell anyone about the thing about giving up Maine. Uh, and some of the advisors are like, we just like won't ever mention it again and the French won't take it. But then Margaret of Anjou comes in, marries Henry, and she's like, great, when are you giving my uncle Maine? So like she makes them. Well, don't people live there? Doesn't matter. <laughs> won't they know? Doesn't matter. There's French flags and croissants everywhere? Uh, we don't care about the people. Okay. So let's talk about Margaret. Turns out Margaret is a total HBIC head bitch in charge. Later in the story, she's going to be the de facto leader of the Lancasters. Think of her Game of Thrones fans like a Cersei Lannister. That's really good. Just running shit because her husband is stupid. Just taking care of it. Mm -hmm. And her son is a baby. Um, (laughs) But less brother fucking. Every man I know is an idiot or... A toddler. <laughs> Absolutely. That's true of Margaret. Margaret does, to my knowledge, not fuck her brother. So different from Cersei Lannister. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. And if you guys yell about me about the spoiler, that happens in episode one of season one of Game of Thrones. So just, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. So let that go. I need you to let that go. So she has no tolerance for any disloyalty towards her husband or her kingdom. And so anytime somebody wants shit to get done, they just say to Margaret, like, Hey, I heard Gloucester was talking shit. And Margaret's like, he's fucking dead. So Yes. So that's what happens. So she hears that the Duke of Gloucester and the Duke of York have been talking shit. Gloucester's put on trial for treason. He dies of a heart attack in jail. He dies of a heart attack. Knife attack. In jail. We don't know. We don't know. And York, they're like, hey, you're getting a promotion. You have to go to Ireland. And York's like, well, I'd rather stay here. And they're like, no, no, no. It's a promotion. Go to Ireland forever. Govern Ireland. Don't be here. Yeah, Don't be like, here we're anymore. We're promoting you to the parking lot where you're going to leave. <laughs> exactly. That's what happens with uh, young Richard of York. So um, Margaret is thrilled that her enemies are gone. She promotes her friend, Suffered and Beaufort. She gets pregnant. It's all lit. 
Sure, the monarchy is increasingly unpopular due to a breakdown of law and order, corruption, and the distribution of royal lands to the king's court favorites. There is a troubled state of the crown's finances, and there is a loss of territories in France. But who cares what the poor people think? I don't. It's not like anyone else could be king. I never have. Then Richard of York comes back from Ireland. (laughs) And he's basically like, I am over it. This is it, and I'm over it. (laughs) Like, I talked to everyone in Ireland and they agree. <laughs> We're over it. I am entitled to a place on the council. I'm taking my place on the council. I'm changing the government. You guys are fucking up. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I'm over it. And the people rally around him and he's marching on Henry with an army, basically being like, hey, listen to me. <laughs> you guys. We cannot do this anymore. It's a real come to Jesus moment uh, that Richard's trying to have with Henry VI. <laughs> And there's, um, like, a standoff in London where York presents a list of grievances and demands, including the arrest of Beaufort, um, who is one of Margaret of Anjou's favorites. And the king is like, yes, whatever you want. Sounds good. We'll just do what you're saying. And Margaret's like, but we're not arresting Beaufort. And they don't. Like, she's just like, but no to this part of the contract. This Uh, is like when, um, in Mary Queen of Scots, when you were like, they kept being like, well, I'm not going to do this because I'm a queen. And the other one would be like, I'm also a queen. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot like that. Then in France, England loses control of Bordeaux and Henry goes mad. I do not mean that Henry gets mad. It's a uh, hard day. He goes mad. Henry enters a catatonic state that lasts a year. Um, historians think he maybe had catatonic schizophrenia or some rare version of bipolar disorder. Um, it's been stated that Henry also suffered from hallucinations, which are another symptom of schizophrenia. We obviously cannot go back in time and, like, diagnose him. <laughs> right. But regardless, what ends up happening is that he is completely unresponsive for a full year. Uh, just lays in his bed, blinking, no other movement. His son, Edward, is born, and he does not react uh, in any way when, like, presented with this baby. Bummer. This is, um, bad. That the king uh, can't do anything. Yeah, that would... I mean, who's in charge? Yeah, so Margaret's like, what if it was me? Everyone's like, no. (laughs) So Richard of York is really the person who keeps the country running, and in this kind of year that Henry is catatonic, he makes all these powerful allies, and everyone's like, it's lit that you've been awake for this year, Richard, and keeping the country going. And he's like, it is lit that I did that. And so Henry finally kind of uh, wakes up Christmas of 1454, and the nobles are basically like, hi, (laughs) like, where were you? (laughs) Like, what happened? What happened to you? Um, And the Yorks are kind of like, we have to have a more permanent way of taking power, because if this guy's just going to, like, be out for a year at a time every few years... That's not going to work for us. I mean, fair enough. And so, the war begins. Ooh, it's war. We got a war, folks. So at first it seems like the Yorks are just totally going to clean up. Henry is barely recovering from another catatonic state. His heir is a literal baby. No one likes him. The Henry, not the baby. I don't think anyone feels strongly about the baby. I do. I hate it. (laughs) Fair enough. 
fuck you, baby Lancaster. Um, and the Yorkists even take possession of Henry. They find him abandoned in a tent after a battle, suffering from a third documented case of his unique madness. Oh my god. Um, and they just, like, take him and carry him. <laughs> they just, like, have him for the rest of the war. I mean, I guess. <laughs> They're like, we might as well just grab him while he's here. Margaret and the little prince, Edward, um, flee to Wales at this point, and Richard of York takes London. So he walks, like, triumphantly into the throne room, and he's expecting everyone to be like, yay, Richard, you should be the king. But instead, everyone's like, Richard, like, Henry is the king. Like, like you're doing a great job, but, like, he's the king. You, you can't just... Yeah, divine right, you guys. Be the king. Exactly. And York's, like, pretty mad about this, because he's like, I'm the one who's keeping the country going, you guys. I actually have a better claim to the throne. But they basically raise a compromise um, where York will inherit after Henry dies. They're, like, disinheriting baby Prince Edward. And Not really fair. He didn't do anything yet. Yeah, and Margaret of Anjou, she's furious. She's fucking pissed. She's like, oh, no. You are not going to disinherit my perfect baby son for this old man. That's the other weird thing is that York is older than Henry. So it's like, why would he be his heir? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And so Margaret travels to Scotland to negotiate for Scottish assistance with the Scottish queen consort, Mary of Weldrez. Um, And Mary's basically like, hey, game recognizes game. I'm going to help you. Um, She agrees to give Margaret an army on the condition that they cede some of the, like, land that England has taken back to Scotland. And Margaret has no money to pay her army, but she agrees and is just like, you can take anything you want from any town we conquer. Uh, and they, like, do it. Do you want Liverpool? Take it. Take it. <laughs> Just, you can have it. So the Duke of York um, leaves London and comes up against this Lancastrian army um, and loses. It's, like, a crushing defeat. Richard of York is slain in the battle, as well as his 17-year-old son, Edmund of, like, Earl of Rutland. Um, and Margaret orders their heads to be placed on the gates of York. Gags. And she's like, we are back baby margaret's back i'm out of wales i'm back we're in charge so this makes richard of york's son also named edward who is 18 years old and a total hunk um Mm. game of thrones fans i want you to think of him as like the rob stark of this story so the the son of his that didn't die in battle yeah got it this is his oldest son um, and he's also, just to give you an idea of, like, how sexy this guy is, he's the tallest monarch ever in, um, UK history because he's over six foot. Mm, yeah. Just an absolute snack. He is now the new Duke of York and the head of this kind of York cause. He is obviously, like, not in the best place when this all happens. His dad just died and he's 18. But the Yorks still have possession of Henry VI. They like, still have him? We still got him. <laughs> Like, Margaret of Anjou is not rushing to get that man back. And in addition, Edward has this glorious vision of three golden sons. And he tells his men that it's a symbolic of the victory of the three surviving sons of York. And it, like, invigorates all his men. They're like, yes, you're gorgeous. Let's go and beat them. And he- imagine his whole army's in love with him. Yeah, they are. Like, I'm maybe sure they what are. if we kiss after? So... He wins a bunch of major battles, he takes London, and he's crowned King Edward IV in 1461. Henry VI is still alive, but they just figure it's easier to keep, like, a mad king that they have possession of 
close and alive, then kill him, and then his son, who's still free, becomes, like, the new rallying point of the rebellion. Mm-hmm. So they're like, it's easier just to, like, have him. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just keep him. So now we're at Edward IV. Here we go. Another king. Edward has an advisor named the Earl of Warwick, also known as Warwick the Kingmaker, and he's been his number one BFF throughout this whole process. And Warwick is now like, you're king now, we need to secure some alliances. I'm gonna get you married to a hot French princess. These French princesses stashed about. (laughs) France has a lot of them. And then France will be our friend, and it will work out great. And Edward's like, that's a great plan, but the thing is, I am married. Oh no. Are you ready for some romantic shit? Yeah. So here's, like, the story version of this. Obviously, like, we don't know this is exactly how it went down. But this is how I think it went down. Edward is riding through the woods one day, being an absolute snack. And under an oak tree is the most beautiful woman he has ever seen. She's blonde. She's gorgeous. She's five years older than Edward. And she has been called, quote, the most beautiful woman on the Isle of Britain. Oh, my God. I can see her in my mind. Yes. Her name is Elizabeth Woodville, and she's bowed low before Edward, begging for her son's inheritance. She had been married to a man who had supported the Lancaster cause and had died in battle. And now that the Yorks are coming into power, she feels her sons will have nothing since their father fought against the man who will be king. Now imagine, like, she's, like, bowed before him, and finally she looks up, and she locks eyes with, like, this perfect 10 teenage dream Prince Edward. Oh my god, they're both so beautiful. And they just immediately fall deeply in love at first sight. <gasps> Ooh. They're married in secret. The only witnesses are two ladies-in-waiting and Elizabeth's mom. Um, And then he rides out to claim his crown. That's hot. That's really hot. That's hot as hell. But what's not hot is that the alliance Warwick has been banking on is now fucked because Edward is already married. No. Edward and Warwick's relationship never recovers and a lot of the Privy Council are pissed with him because Elizabeth Woodville has no money, no connections, she's been married and already has kids, and she was supporting the Lancasters. So they were like, how the fuck is she the York Queen now? Yeah. And she's like, I'm gorgeous. I have beautiful hair. She does. She really does. She's like, usually all a woman has to do is be adorable. Yeah. And I'm doing that. And I did it. Literally, what more do you want? Um, the other thing is that she has 12 younger siblings. And so they start getting married off to really powerful people because now she's the queen and everyone wants to marry into her family. And these this Woodville family that was a nothing family is rising in power like crazy. And all the other noble families are like, who the fuck are they? Yeah, who let all these poories in? <laughs> Literally, yeah. And Warwick just becomes like more and more alienated from King Edward and his intentions turn to treason. Um, he withdraws from the court and he instigates a rebellion with the aid of Edward's brother, George. And so they, like, try to battle Edward. They, like, go to kidnap him and he's, like, under their control for a while. And Warwick's, like, all rule in Edward's name. And the nobility are like, we don't love you, so no. You're not as hot as he is. He's not. So then he has to release Edward and Edward's like, listen, that was a dick move, but, like, what if we can all just reconcile? What if we can all be chill now? A few months later, Warwick and Clarence again are like, no, we're going to rebel again. Again? <laughs> yep. 
And at that point, Warwick flees to France after that rebellion is crushed. And he allies with the Lancastrian queen, Margaret of Anjou. Oh my gosh, she back! Who's still trying to fuck shit up in France. She's trying to get her son back on the throne. And so... Wait, who's her son again? Uh, also Prince Edward. Oh, different Edward, got <laughs> Different it. Edward. A different Edward um, that is the son of the, the Mad King, Henry. And so Margaret of Anjou's forces walk again into England. Edward is forced to flee. And Henry VI who is still somehow around, oh, is God. restored to the throne. Wait, he comes back? He comes back for round two. I would have been like, I think I'm done. <laughs> no, he's back. I'm exhausted. He's back for like a minute. So Edward like regroups and sweeps back in pretty quickly. Um, he kills the Lancastrian heir, also Edward, um, at the Battle of Tewkesbury. And retakes the throne. The day he gets back into London, Henry VI finally dies. There's no official reason, but, like, now the Lancasters aren't a threat anymore. So, it seems like we're at the end of the war, right? Wrong. Because next up is the man we are all most familiar with, Richard III. Yay, I've been waiting. Richard is Edward's youngest brother. King Edward's youngest brother. He probably did not have a hunchback, uh, which is just something that Shakespeare kind of came up with. He was probably, like, fine looking, but he was a schemer. He loved to scheme. He's really close with Edward, because remember, Edward's other brother, George, kept rebelling against him. So, like, Richard's the closest with Edward. And he's rewarded handsomely once the war is over, uh, and the winter of their discontent is made glorious summer by the son of York. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, sadly, Edward dies really suddenly at, like, 40. His eldest son, I'm going to refer to as Baby Edward, is only 12. And he's been raised under the protection of his mom's brother, Anthony Woodville. Remember, people at court do not like the Woodvilles. So the idea that this kid is going to, like, come into power and keep raising up his beloved Woodville uncles and cousins is not anyone's idea of a good time. Oh, boy. So they're like, hey, let's name Richard protector of the realm so it won't be Anthony Woodville, because we hate that guy. And they'll be like, that'll keep the Woodvilles down. It does do that, but Richard is also like, it's going to suck when I have to give up this power when baby Edward turns 16. And then he's like, you know, maybe Edward's kids aren't even legitimate, because, like, he was almost engaged to that French princess when he married Elizabeth Woodville. That's shady. And almost engaged is basically engaged. And engaged is basically married. And you can't be married to two people at the same time. So it feels like Elizabeth is a whore and all their children are <laughs> bastards. I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> that, but I'm just saying... I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And it seems like everyone is just like, um, maybe? And so Richard um, declares Edward's two sons, baby Edward and baby Richard, illegitimate. He locks them in the Tower of London and the boys are never heard from again. And we all know that one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the the two princes in the tower, which is a very famous um, story. And it's a total bummer when you find out that it's true. Yeah. And they were like, they were, they were like 12 and 10. So that, it's that's awful. I think we've said before, murdering children, bad. Bad. Bad thing. We're on record on this podcast. Yeah, we talked about that like on episode six with the Romanovs. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Don't murder children. I don't care whose side you're on. Just don't kill any babies. Don't do it. 
Never. Or like anyone. Oh my god. <laughs> Do something else. But if you have to kill someone, don't make it a baby. Yeah, no. Yeah. So it feels like it's time for this war to end, Al. I'm ready. If only the red rose and the white rose could unite and they could create a Tudor a rose. A pink rose. Oh. <laughs> Henry Tudor. He just barely has a claim to the crown. His mom is the great-granddaughter of John of Gaunt, the Duke of Lancaster, from his third marriage. But by God, he's going to go for it. <laughs> Richard is executing people left and right. So a lot of lo- nobles are like, I don't even care that you're Welsh. You can be Just my get king. in here. I'm done. <laughs> you can't be Richard. They meet on the Battle of Bosworth Field and Richard falls on the field. His body is lost until a few years ago where they find it under a parking lot. Uh, and Henry Tudor um, becomes Henry VII. He marries Edward and Elizabeth's oldest daughter, whose name is also Elizabeth. Mm. So it is truly, he's the red rose. He's an heir of Lancaster, kind of. And she's a white rose. She's the daughter of the former king. And so when they get married, finally the roses are united. The war is over. Yay. Moral of the story is maybe your family is fucked up, but at least your cousins aren't murdering each other. Um, tune in for episode three of Game of Thrones. I'm horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show. Ugh, what a whole lot of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, why doesn't everyone just relax? What if we all just chilled out? That's the thing. I, like, I could never, like, vie for power because I'm too lazy. Yeah. I would just be like, I mean, I'm the rightful heir to the throne. Or, I mean, that person is. I don't care. That's the thing. They're all, like, fucking third cousins. So it's just, like, we all have the same grandpa. Everyone's the same person. <laughs> yeah. We are one. We are one. You know? Um, that took me a really long time. Sorry, you guys, that that whole war took me longer to cover than I thought it would. No, no. I loved it. <laughs> I'm going to talk about soda for, like, ten minutes, so Perfect. don't worry about it. A palate cleanser, if you will. A palate cleanser. Whoa. Are you, are you fully done? Do you have, any, you have any parting thoughts? Um, I... What do you think the significance of this in history this is? This is what incest gets you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I just think, like, the struggle for power separates people in such arbitrary ways. That's my lesson Ooh, from the War of the Roses. I love that. Because they're I all love that. they're all literally cousins. I love that. But they had to be like, well, I'm a red rose, you're a white rose. I'm a different cousin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my that's my historical lesson from the Wars of the Roses. I love that. Thank, Thank you. you. Ooh. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. <gasps> that was fun. Segway. Segway, honey. All right, I'm ready to talk now. Uh. All right, so I'll start with this age-old question, Sam. Are you ready? Yeah. Coke or Pepsi, Sam? What would you say if I told you I don't like either? I'd rather have Sprite. I'd say I know that. (laughs) Um, Pepsi. Pepsi, really? Yeah. You're just trying to be divisive. (laughs) That's all. Pepsi is what they used to serve at the restaurant I used to work at. Alexis would kill you. Our friend Alexis, (laughs) who was on the podcast. Yes, friend of the show. Yeah, she works in marketing and advertising. Yes. And, um... She uh, is a loyal Coca-Cola Her fan. whole family. Her whole family is. Um, it's wild <clears throat> to go to their house. I know. They have so much Coke. They have so much Coke. Um, so I never really cared about that question, as I don't drink a ton of soda, but I do like Diet Coke every now and again. 
Um, that's all we were allowed to have in my house growing up. So normal Coke to taste like syrup to me. Yeah. Just like um, I was raised on skim milk. And so the first time I drank whole milk, I thought I was drinking ice cream. Yeah, it's like pure fat. I thought it was l- like melted ice cream that yeah, somebody put absolutely. it in a cup. So in the 70s and 80s, the market share of Coca-Cola had been dropping a little bit. So, like, the 50s, after World War II, they were really, really popular, mm-hmm. all-American. I don't know if Pepsi was even on the scene yet. And they had, like, 60% market share, and now they're down to, like, 25 Just, like, nothing's happening. So they're still the top dog. Like, they still have better sales than Pepsi. They're doing great. They're the number one soda. But they're just not, like, blasting everyone out of the park cataclysmically. Yeah. And they are not cool with that. No, Coke's got to be they number one. can't bear it. So let's take this back a little further. The Coca-Cola secret recipe had remained pretty much the same since its unveiling in 1886. Literally a hundred years before what I'm about to talk about. That's crazy. Yeah, so they changed, like, how they sweetened it a couple times and, like, a couple things, but the flavor overall really remained the same that whole time. Good for you, Coke. Um, so they had made some little tweaks, but the flavor had stayed consistent. So then in 1985, the CEO, Robert Gazetta, made a big decision for everyone. During a Coca-Cola press conference at Lincoln Center, Gazetta introduced New Coke, the new and improved formula for Coca-Cola, which would be smoother, rounder, yet bolder, a more harmonious flavor. And what he meant by that is that it was slightly sweeter than the original Coke formula. Okay. Which made it taste curiously like Pepsi. So Gazetta was extremely confident and bold about this new decision, saying, quote, some may choose to call this the boldest single marketing move in the history of the packaged goods business. We simply call it the surest move we ever made. Which, that's a lot. It's bold, Rob. (laughs) I also doubt anyone said that. (laughs) I feel like he just, that's what he's choosing to call it. Yeah. So you would think, this is a soda. Who cares about it? Well, the answer is everyone. Yeah, I'm sh- knowing America. Yeah, I'm sure everyone, everyone was furious. Well, I mean that's not entirely true. So at first, actually, Coke stock went up. This is something a lot of people kind of neglect to mention when talking about new Coke. Coke stock initially went up, and purchasing rates across the nation stayed pretty much the same. Okay. However, right away there was a social rumbling. And they began getting as many as 5,000 angry phone calls a day. Oh, God. With that number quickly swelling to 8,000. No. They hired a psychologist at Coca-Cola to speak to the people calling in who <laughs> grieved the old Coke like the death of a family member. Oh, my God. One man in Seattle sued Coke and created the grassroots group Old Cola Drinkers of America, who would ritually pour new Coke down the drain. <laughs> Wow. Another wrote Coke a letter that said, I don't think I'd be more upset if you were to burn the flag in our front yard. (laughs) Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro has an opinion? Called New Coke an example of American capitalist decadence. That's true. And this, I love this part. (laughs) That's fucking true. Interestingly enough, Gazetta's father, so the guy who had this idea, was a Cuban immigrant who fled Castro's regime. (laughs) And even he said it was the one time he agreed with Fred Castro's opinion. His own dad is siding with yeah. Fidel Castro. Yeah, his Cuban immigrant his father. Cuban immigrant yeah, father. it's just wild. 
so Rob. Pepsi, on the other hand, was delighted. <laughs> and on the day of the new Coke announcement, they let everybody off work early. <laughs> and they ran a full-page news ad that said, after 87 years of going at it eyeball to eyeball, the other guy just blinked. That's real. Which is bold as shit. I love that. So why did this happen? This decision didn't come out of nowhere, like, to change the formula. Sweeter formulas were testing more and more positively with focus groups. People scientifically preferred the taste of new Coke to Coke. And what happened was that Coke didn't bank on the nostalgia and attachment that people would have to the original Coke formula. It's not about what tasted better. It's about what they remembered, and they just wanted what they were used to. Yeah. And the reality is, a lot of people didn't really carry their way. Like, these people that I'm talking about are the most vocal speaking on the topic. So eventually, the positive sales of New Coke, the people who were like, oh yeah, Coca-Cola is a thing, like hearing about it in the news, and like they buy New Coke and be like, yeah, whatever, it's soda. But they were starting to hear news stories about somebody suing over New Coke mm-hmm. and hearing about people pouring it down the drain and seeing David Letterman make jokes about it and, you know... There were stories of people smuggling old coke in from foreign countries. And so, like, in reality, no one really cared, but it seemed like everyone cared. And then everyone started to actually care. That's very much like proto-outrage culture. For sure. That we now have with the internet. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. It's very, very similar to that. So to make a long story short, 79 days after their initial announcement of new coke, they held another press conference to introduce Coca-Cola Classic, which was just Coke number one. I would have gone with old Coke. I know, right? Me too. (laughs) But okay. Coca-Cola Classic quickly outsold new Coke, which was eventually renamed to Coke 2. In 2002, Coke 2 was discontinued entirely, and it took them until 2009 to change Coca-Cola Classic back to just (laughs) Coca-Cola. So all in all, it took 24 years to rectify this stupid, stupid mistake. The end. Wow. <laughs> That's new Coke, everyone. That's crazy. That's wild. That's wild. Bananas. Banana sandwich. That's wild that they kept calling it Coca-Cola Classic after they discontinued new Coke. They just, like, couldn't. They couldn't. It, where is Rob now? Is he still in charge he, of Coke? I mean, is he alive? I have no idea. He was I didn't 80s. look it up. He could be alive. I didn't care about him. Oh, he man. seemed really cocky. I only care about him if only because he got roasted by Fidel Castro and his dad. I'm more interested in, like, his dad's story of, like, <laughs> fleeing Castro's Cuba, coming to America, and having a shitty son <laughs> who became very successful. Yeah. I hope he bought him, like, a vacation home or something. Yeah, I hope that, too. I hope that, too. I hope that for him. What a story. I know. Bananas, right? I would say more dramatic than yours. Yeah, 100%. More sweeping. Less child death. More historical significance. Yeah. For sure. Less child death. Yeah. So I win? So there's something for everyone in this episode yeah. is what I'm hearing. I think we did it. So um, go get yourself a nice uh, cold can of slice. And um, call your cousins. Stay in contact with them in a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know whether they're going to get you. Yeah, you just don't. Um, and until next week, stay horrified. Stay horrified. Thank you.